to take a moment now to dismiss our children who are sixth grade and under to head upstairs with our leaders for kids crew today. Time of worship specifically for them on their level. As they head upstairs today for that, I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs 29, 18 is our text for today. We're starting a new sermon series today that we're calling Driven by Vision. You're going to hear a lot in the next few days, I suppose, uh, about the idea of 2020. It's 2020 now and 2020 vision. You think about what does 2020 vision really mean? How many of us really understand what 2020 vision means? 2020 vision is a reference to the fact that you would see at 20 feet of distance, you would see what a person with normal average eyesight would see at 20 feet. So if you had, let's say you had 2100 vision, for example, then that means that at 20 feet of distance, you would see what the average person might see at 100 feet of distance. Does that make sense? So the idea of 2020 vision essentially means that you, you have clear vision, that you have accurate vision. Now, it's, it's not just a reference to the size of objects or, or, or distance, but it also is a, it, it speaks to visual acuity or the, the, the clarity of what you see at that distance. And there's a lot more to uh, having good vision than just, just having 20-20 vision, I suppose. There, there's more that goes into it than that. But the most, the most simple understanding is that to have 20-20 vision means that you see things clearly. Now, we all probably think of, at least, 20-20 vision as being perfect vision, right? We, we hear 20-20 vision, you think, oh, that somebody with 20-20 vision has perfect vision. A few years ago, Rayleigh had LASIK surgery done on her eyes. And when she had that done, when, when she was finished and her eyes had healed, her optometrist said, you now have 2015 vision. And I thought, well, 2015, how can you have 2015? That's better than perfect. Can you be better than perfect? What does that really mean? And that was where I really began to understand that, that 2020 doesn't necessarily mean perfect. It just means Accurate. So a person with 2015 vision really is a way of saying that you see better than average, better than what most people would see at 20 feet, you can see at 15 feet, that sort of thing, right? When we think about 2020, the year 2020, and having 2020 vision and, and, and what it means, really what I hope that we'll understand as in, through these next few weeks as we, as we look at what it means to live a life that's driven by vision, is that we would understand accurately, that we would see clearly God's direction and his purpose for our lives, both as a church, as a collective, as a body, and also as individuals within that body. When I was a kid, when I was in kindergarten, they gave us a vision screening test in school. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I needed glasses. My vision wasn't that great. And all I knew was what I could see, right? You, if you don't know any better, then you don't know what you don't know. And that's kind of where I was living, was in that, in that place where, unbeknownst to me, my vision needed correction. I was farsighted. And so what happened is... I failed the test at school, and then we went to, you know, parents made an appointment, we went to see an optometrist. And so for the next few years, I had to wear glasses. Now at 41 today, I don't wear glasses anymore. In fact, I haven't worn glasses for years because as I was growing, so from about 
I don't know, maybe I think five, however old you are in kindergarten, right? About five years of age, five or six years of age until I was about 12 years of age, I had to wear glasses all the time. But then around that age of 12, my eyes had, had corrected themselves to the point that I didn't need to wear glasses anymore. But here's a picture of third grade me. This is I don't know, maybe eight or nine-year-old me, right, with my, with my big glasses on and no teeth, as it turns out, in the front as well. So there I am. I know, right? Oh, how cute. Look at me. I like to joke. It's funny how much that looks like Nixon, too. Uh, I like to joke that I have miracle eyes, that my eyes healed themselves, and, uh, and, and that, I, you know, uh, that just means that I must be a, a walking miracle, that sort of thing, which isn't true at all. Uh, but... When we think about what it means to not see clearly, I use this picture to reference the fact that those of us who either wear glasses or have worn glasses or contacts know what it's like to not see things clearly. We understand, and, and I suppose that I, for one, understand on, on both sides of the equation, as it were, because there was both a period of time when I needed the glasses, and then there's been a period of my life where I haven't needed the glasses. And I could see clearly on my own. The whole idea of having 20-20 vision for our lives or seeing things in 2020 that we're going to look at over the next several weeks really comes down to seeing things accurately and clearly for our lives the way that God would have us see them. Well, how will we know that unless we understand what God wants us to see, what God would have us see? And how will we know that unless we look to God? Where has God or how has God revealed his vision for our lives for us to see it, for us to know it. Of course, it's in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. And so really, when we get into this, really, this is going to be a study about studying the Word of God and seeing things clearly and how that drives our lives or moves us forward so that we see and respond to God's Word of truth the way that we should, accurately, clearly, that we have a 20-20 vision, if you will, for God's purpose and His direction in our lives. And that really gets us to the point of, of where we're going to be today in Proverbs 29, 18. Let's read together Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. There are two key words in the original language. Now, it's translated here more as phrases than words, but in the original language, there are two key words in the Hebrew that I want us to really dig into today. They're the words that we translate prophetic vision, and then the word that we would translate cast off restraint. That's actually, each of those is just a word. It's a verb in, in the original language. When the King James Bible was translated uh, many years ago. It was translated from the Latin, from Jerome's Latin version of the Bible, which we now commonly refer to as the Vulgate. That sounds kind of weird because it sounds almost like the word vulgar, and that's actually where the word Vulgate comes from. It's meaning that it was common. The Latin was the common language. It wasn't in the Hebrew and the Greek original language, but it, it had been translated into the common language of the people by a guy named Jerome, and that his version, his Latin version, actually became the basis of 
the, the, what we now think of as the Vulgate or the authorized version that was used predominantly in the, in the world of the Catholic Church. And so they still, to this day, in the Catholic Church, they use Jerome's Latin Vulgate as the primary text for their worship, for Catholic Mass. If you've ever been to a Catholic Mass and you hear them quoting things in Latin, they're quoting the scripture from Jerome's Latin. When the English was translated in 1611, the King James English, it was translated largely from the Latin Vulgate because this was a day and time when they didn't have as much access as we might have in in the modern day to the ancient languages and the reliable copies that we have of both the Hebrew and Greek Old Testament and New Testament texts as they were and so they translated from what they had largely, which was the Latin, the Vulgate. And in that, they translated this verse in the King James this way, where there is no vision, the people perish. Have you heard that before? You've heard that, uh, I would imagine, before, that when, where there's no vision, the people perish. Well, I want us to think about what that means today, to understand that when we don't have vision, that we perish or we cast off restraint. Because that's an important part of understanding God's direction for our lives and how we're to be driven by vision as we understand and know God's vision for our lives. To have vision. I want us to think of it this way. That vision is, comes from the word of the Lord. So a prophetic vision that, it, that it's translated here in the English Standard Version. Most other modern English translations use the word prophetic vision. That comes from the Hebrew word chazon, and that word means a vision or a word of revelation. In the time of the Old Testament, the prophets were the ones who gave the word of revelation from God to the people. So the people had the law, they had what we would think of as the Pentateuch, and they had also, they had other portions of scripture that we might think of as the, the word of the prophets at different points that was, that was developing over time. But the word of the prophets, they had the Psalms and the other wisdom works. But primarily, worship for the, Israel's, uh, the Israelites, I should say, for the children of Israel was primarily derived from the law itself, the Pentateuch. And so the prophets were a key figure in taking the word of the law and preaching it to people or proclaiming it to people in a way that they might understand it and they might live it out. Much like you might think of a preacher in a modern context. So much like I see my role as pastor, as particularly my role in the pulpit in preaching, is to take the word of God and proclaim the word of God to you so that we might know it, that we might understand it, and ultimately we might live it. That was much like what the prophets would do. Although the prophets had, I I will say, the prophets had more of a revelatory connection to God than someone today might have. So when I speak a word to you, when I preach or proclaim a word to you today, I'm always going to root that in what the Bible teaches. The prophets didn't have the Bible in the sense that we do. And so oftentimes the prophets are delivering a word directly from God to the people, but it always It always supported what God had delivered to his people in the law. It was always calling the people to the law. Oftentimes, a prophet would speak a word of reproach. So we might say a word of correction, a word of rebuke, a word of reproach to people, calling them to repentance so that they might respond and have a restored relationship with God. That's a a very simple overview, a very, a very simple framework for understanding the ministry of the prophets. They would speak a word of reproach, calling people to repent in order that a right relationship might be restored. 
And so as the prophets would do this, God would use them. Think of Old Testament prophets that you may be familiar with, right? You can just name any number of books in the Old Testament because we have a number of books named after the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, right? We, we get into other, the, what we think of as the minor prophets and you run down a whole list of names that, you know, that none of us know uh, that much about these individuals. But we, we get into these prophetic books and we find again and again a familiar pattern The prophet speaks a word of reproach, calling the people to repent in order that a right relationship might be restored. That's really what the word of God does for us even still today, isn't it? We read God's word and it speaks to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God makes his word come alive in such a way that it instructs us, that it directs us. It gives us us instruction for life that we might turn away from our worldly ways, turn away from our worldly desires, turn back to the Lord, repent of our sins, turn back to him, and live in a right relationship with God. And so in, in, very, in, in a very simple way, we might say that having a prophetic vision for us today in the modern context means that we would see clearly according to what the word of God instructs. The second part of this verse that I told you was really important was the idea of people casting off restraint. Again, in the King James Version, they translate that to mean perish. That comes from the Hebrew word yipara, which means to let loose or to run wild. That's literally what that word means. So people without a prophetic vision, people who aren't tethered to or tied to God's word and his instruction for their lives, cast off restraint. They run wild. They go, they go nuts, we might say. They would perish in the sense that they would live without any kind of control, any kind of, any kind of boundary, any kind of restraint. They would throw off, they would cast off restraint and run wild to their own, to their own discredit or really for their own... Um, for their own destruction. Think of it this way. Think of the children of Israel and the story of Moses going on the mountain to receive the law. When God gave Moses the law and the commandments and he came down from the mountain and he found that though he had been gone a relatively short amount of time, the children of Israel had cast off restraint. They had taken all of their gold and they had, and they had, uh, formed these idols and they were worshiping these idols and there was all kind of wicked practices going on. Moses goes up on the mountain to get a word from the Lord and without the direction of that leader, without listening to God's direction for their lives, without being tethered to the word of God, the direction of God, the law of God, the people went crazy. They cast off restraint. Moses comes down and he finds this wild scene happening and he throws down the tablets and shatters them, right? And then goes on the mountain again, God gives him the law and, and he gave the law. to. The, it's that picture, it's that idea of without God's direction, without his instruction, without a, a true, clear understanding of God's vision for our lives, we tend to run wild, don't we? And isn't that what we see over and over again in our world today? That we see people who don't accept the truth of God's word, who don't who don't listen to its instruction, who don't do what it says, and they essentially run wild, and their lives are, are crazy and chaotic. And lest we look only outwardly and, and, and we point the finger at everyone else, think about in your life. Think about those times when your life seems unmanageable. Maybe when the, the, the chaos, the stress, the disorder of your life seems like 
things are just out of control. And wouldn't you say that it's true in most cases that what, what's tied to that chaos and that stress in your life is that you are either not listening to or not walking in obedience to the word of God. Now, I don't mean that if you listen to and obey the word of God, things will be great all the time. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we will have trials, that we will face tests, and that God will use those tests and trials to refine our faith, to refine our character, to refine who we are, and to lead us even closer to the Lord. But most of the time, if we're being honest, I think that a lot of the trouble that we find ourselves in is really more a product of our disobedience and our unwillingness to listen to and heed what the Word of God says. And so, in our lives, I think we can even say, if we're being honest again, that where there is no clear vision of God's Word in His direction, where there is no clear idea of God's purpose and His leadership, we end up living in chaos. Our lives are, well, we cast off restraint. Our lives are, uh, are, are chaotic. We run wild, as it were. And so really what I want us to talk about is how the Word of God anchors us, how the Word of God, the instruction of God, gives us direction. There are five different things that I want to I point out today. And then over each of the next five weeks, we're going to look at a different example of how God's word gives us vision for each of these things. So I'm going to run through the list. And, and if you don't get them all, that's okay, because I'm going to come back and we're going to break them down one by one. But we're going to look at this morning how, how our lives can be driven by vision so that vision would Vision would drive our mission, vision would drive evangelism, vision would drive discipleship, would drive worship and community. These are five things that happen, and really these are the purposes of the church. We believe that these are, by and large, the purposes. The reason that we exist as a body is to glorify God, and that we do this as we focus on the purposes of the church that are given to us in the Word of God. And we're going to see how vision drives each of these things. So first we see that vision drives mission. Vision drives mission. What do we mean by mission? Mission can mean a lot of things, doesn't it? We, we have a mission statement as a church. The mission statement for our church is that the mission of First Baptist Church is to love all people to Christ and to multiply disciples. We talk about the mission of our church is to love people to, to faith in Jesus and to multiply disciples, to build his kingdom, advance his kingdom as we multiply disciples. And the mission, as we talk about it here, means that that thing that motivates us, that thing that sends us out, out uh, outward or, or, or out from this place, it's an outward vision or an outward focus for how God would take us as a body, as a church, and he would use us. Now, we understand there's a component of that that works right here at home in our community. There's a component of that mission that we aim to do right here in our midst. But it doesn't just stay here. It keeps leading us further and further out so that we fulfill what Jesus says to his disciples, both in what we think of as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, or Acts chapter 1, verse 8, either place really you can look to. I, I would, I'm going to quote Acts 1, 8, which says that we're to be his witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, which means that we understand it starts here at home, but it leads ultimately to the ends of the earth, that 
all nations would be impacted through the work that we do as a church, as a body. And that's driven by a vision from God. You understand, we didn't just cook that up. We didn't sit around with some kind of a a, a strategic think tank and come up with that. It's given to us directly from the Word of God that we would go out in our community that we would go literally next door and that we would keep going from there and that everyone we reach, everyone that we come to, that we would share the love of Christ. We would try to reach the unreached with the love of God. It's the mission that drives us to love all people to Christ and to multiply disciples. And that's driven by a vision from the word of God. Not only do we find that vision drives our mission, vision drives evangelism. Now, it's easy, to, it's easy to equate mission and evangelism together. And this is the way, this is the way that I would try to explain how we might, uh, how we might identify the, the difference, the, the key difference. I would say that evangelism is a core part of mission, but mission is bigger. So if we were drawing this with circles, I might draw a bigger circle and write the word mission in it. And then I might draw a smaller circle inside of that and put the word evangelism to say that evangelism is a core part of our mission, of, of mission, of reaching people. But it's, but it's only really a piece. The idea of mission is bigger than that. Mission involves everything that we do to accomplish God's work and his direction that he's given to us. Evangelism is a very strategic part of that. Evangelism, of course, means to share the gospel with people, to evangelize, or to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We get that word evangelism from a Greek word. It's just a transliteration of a Greek word, euangelion, which literally means to proclaim. And so the idea of evangelizing is the idea of proclamation, of gospel proclamation. And so later on, as, as the languages, um, as, as, the, as the work of the church continued in the language, the common language of people, there was an old English word of of good spell, or we now think of it as the gospel, the good news, is the idea of proclaiming that good news. To evangelize means that we share the hope of Jesus with people. We share the gospel message, that we were all, we were all lost in our sin, but God in his love for us made a way by providing Jesus as the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death and made a way for us to be right with God if we would trust him by faith, if we would confess him as Lord and Savior of our lives. That's what it means for us to respond by faith to the gospel. It's the, the good news. And so as we share that message with others, We are accomplishing what the Word of God clearly instructs us to do. We are being driven by a vision to take the good news to the unreached. So vision drives evangelism. One of the things that we're going to focus on in the coming year is what we're going to call Who's your one? That's a strategy that Southern Baptists have adopted. It's something that we didn't come up with, but we're going to participate in it in in coming weeks and months, this this Who's Your One campaign. And the whole idea of a Who's Your One campaign is this, is that we would, each one of us, would identify someone in our life and that, that we would begin to pray daily that God would give us the opportunity to share the gospel with that person, that person being our one, if you will. The, the, the one person that more than anything, we desire to share the gospel with them and to see them come to faith in Jesus. 
And that whole idea, whether you're doing that or you go backward in time, we've used other methods. In, in fact, in my lifetime, I've used things like faith evangelism. We've used uh, what we call CWE or there was evangelism explosion. There's all these different programs. There's, um, oh man, I'm even struggling to think of all of them. But I, I've, I've learned so many different methods through the years. And, and the point of methods is, is there's no perfect method for sharing your faith with someone. But the point of all the methods is they're trying to give us tools and resources to be able to know the word of God and share the word of God with other people so that they might know and believe as well. And I think that starts with an earnest desire, an earnest an earnest desire motivated by the word of God, by the love of God, to see other people who are unreached be reached with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that's really what evangelism is, proclaiming that message. And that's driven by a vision from the word of God that we would take the hope of the gospel to the unreached. Vision drives evangelism. The third thing that we see is that vision drives discipleship. Now, in many ways, we think of discipleship as something that is separate from evangelism. I think that really discipleship is just another step in the process of mission. I, I, I don't like to, to uh, separate evangelism from discipleship, at least in the sense that we think of them as, as separate functions or separate activities. Really, they're, they're part of the same process. Evangelizing is proclaiming the gospel, but discipleship is the growth that takes place in someone who, who commits their life to Christ, who becomes a believer, confesses faith in Jesus Christ. But really, that begins with evangelism. Before we can confess Christ as Lord, we've got to hear the hope of, of Christ. We've got to hear the message of the gospel. So it's, it's another step in this process. And really that, again, it exists under this bigger umbrella we think of as the mission. And so when we have a vision for discipleship, a New Testament vision for reaching people and growing them in their faith and instructing them in the Word of God, teaching people how to study the Word of God, teaching people how to feed themselves by getting in the Word of God, by practicing spiritual disciplines, by growing in their faith, that's really what we think of discipleship as. And all of that flows from this vision that we have to take the hope of Christ to the unreached and to grow them in that faith. We're driven by a vision for discipleship. That vision for discipleship comes from the word of God. You're gonna notice that's the, that's the theme, right? That all of these things are tied to God's word and his direction. The fourth thing that we have a vision for, we see that vision drives community. Vision drives community. We, when we gather together as a body, when we encourage one another, when we stir one another toward love and good works, as we talked about earlier, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 tells us, then we're accomplishing the, the New Testament's picture of what community is to be about. That, we're a, that we are a Christ-centered community of faith as the church, as the body of Christ, and that in this Christ-centered community of faith, we seek to honor Jesus in our lives, both on an individual level, but then also on a corporate level as well. And, and when we think about that, that corporate level of the things that happen inside of this group, this body as we refer to it, and that's just borrowing from the language of the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When we think about body life and what happens inside the body of the New Testament local church, that's really where community takes place, those bonds that are formed between our lives. As we are, first of all, united to Christ by faith, but then also united with one another through the work of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that. 
we're driven by a vision for community and, and what our community ought to look like as we encourage one another, as we stir one another up. I mentioned this to you earlier, but there are two things that get in the way of that, pride and discouragement. Pride says, I don't need them. And so a, a Christian who's, who's wrestling with pride thinks that they don't need the body because, well, because frankly, they've, they've got what they need. Pride leads us down that path of isolation. But the second side of that coin is discouragement. Discouragement says they don't need me. Discouragement says I, I don't need to be involved in church because I don't have anything to offer. I don't, there are people with better gifts. There are people who, who, who have more time. There are people who, who frankly, they're, they're holier than I am. They don't have as much sin and they don't struggle as much as I struggle. And discouragement says they don't need me. That's just as much sin as pride because the word of God says that we do need each other. And to think that, ah, oh, they don't need me really means to deny what the word of God says. God says that you need the body and the body needs you. And that none of us are complete, isolated on our own. It, interestingly, pride leads us toward isolation, but discouragement leads us toward isolation as well. Because it leads us to try to live out our, our lives alone, separate from the body. When we have a New Testament vision for our lives, a vision that's driven by the word of God, it's going to lead us to walk in community with one another, that we would sharpen one another, that we would encourage one another, that we would stir one another, that we would push one another, we would hold one another accountable. There's so many ways that the Bible talks about how we are to interact with one another. Vision, a vision from God's word drives our community life as a body. And then finally, we see that vision drives worship. You might think of worship as what we do when we gather together. Now, worship is not the only, th it doesn't only happen when we gather together. That's the way I want to say that. Worship, worship doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings at 1030 when we're gathered in this place. We can worship God. In fact, we should worship God every day of our lives. Worship is when we ascribe worth to God, when we, when we look to him as the thing that we, that we value the most. And so we live our lives in obedience to his order, in, in obedience to his instruction, in obedience to his word and his law. That's really what worship is. We tend to have a rather narrow understanding of what worship is, and we think of worship as singing Right, And so worship is what happens when we get together and sing. Or maybe if you're one of those people that are gifted enough to be able to do music on your own, then you can worship outside. of. But worship is not just singing. Worship is bringing our lives under the order, the instruction of God's word and his direction. Worship is what happens when we say, God, you are first. You are my highest priority. You are the thing that I value the most. You are the thing that, that I look to. You will set the direction and chart the course of my life. That's really where worship happens, is when we put God in his proper place, when we look to him and we follow his word, his instruction, that vision for worship is driven by the word of God. Jesus says it rather plainly, that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He gives us a very simple and straightforward understanding, John chapter 14, verse 15, of what it means to walk in obedience to his word of truth, to know him, to obey his commandments. To have a vision for worship means that we will simply do what God instructs us to do. We give him highest priority or first place in our lives. And we order everything else around that priority. God, I will put you first and everything else will fall in place.
That's what worship ultimately is. And that's driven by a vision for our lives. Notice what, again, what Proverbs 29, 18 tells us happens when we don't have this vision. When we don't have a a vision that drives our mission, a vision driving evangelism, a vision driving discipleship, if there's no vision driving community, the way that we interact with each other, or a vision driving worship and how we worship God in every part of our lives, then we will cast off restraint. We will run wild. But the answer, the second part of Proverbs 29, 18 tells us, is the law of God, the word of God. Blessed is he who keeps the law. That word blessed is actually in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in the Septuagint, that word for blessed is the very same word that's used in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the word that we... We might translate, or the old translations would say, happy. Happy is the one who does this. Blessed is the one. Blessed are we when we keep the law of God. Here's the point. When we do what the word of God says, we will be blessed. Our lives will be blessed. When we listen to and obey the word of God, rather than rather than casting off restraint, rather than living without a prophetic vision, rather than living in a way that, we, that our lives are not tethered to his word of truth. When we live according to his word, we will be blessed. And so, as we dig into this over the next few weeks, we're gonna see that if we want to experience God's blessing, we've got to live in obedience to God's word. We want to be a church that is driven by vision. And my prayer for you is that you would be able to say of your life, that my life is truly driven by vision. So we're gonna understand over the next few weeks what that means. Here's how I hope we would respond to this word today, is that we would understand that in order for us to accomplish God's vision for our lives, we've got to get into God's word. We've got to know what his word says. How can you hope to fulfill God's vision for your life if you don't know what that vision is? Where will you know? How will you know the vision? Are you supposed to just meditate and go into some kind of a a, a trance until God just speaks to you? That doesn't happen, right? I mean, that only happens to weirdos, we think. No, we know God's vision for our lives by looking to the place where God has given us a vision for, his, for our lives, in the word of God. He's given us his word that we might know him and that we might walk in obedience to him. And so to have a prophetic vision in 2020, we might say, is to know what the word of God says and then also importantly, to do it. May we be a people who know the word of God and who do what it says. I want to encourage you finally with this before we move into a time of response today. A lot of people make New Year's resolutions when we get to this point, right? The early days of a new year. And I want to encourage you that of all the things to consider and all the habits to evaluate in your life and all the things that you might do, yes, it's going to be good for you to 
eat healthier. Yes, it's going to be good for you to, to work out or get in the gym more. Yes, it's going to be good for you maybe to introduce some simple changes in life that are going to make you happier, put better boundaries in your life. But I promise you this, there is no commitment that you can make, no resolution that you might set for yourself the new year that will benefit your life like a commitment to spend time in the Word of God every day. And honestly, it's never been easier than it is because there are so many resources available. There are so many Bible reading plans and things of that nature that, that exist. If you've got a, a, a smartphone, a smart device, then you can get connected with an app. And if you want to know more about that, I'd be happy to, to show you what I'm using. There are lots of options out there. You don't have to use the one I'm using. You don't have to have a smartphone. You don't have to have an iPhone to read the Bible every day, right? You, there are lots of Bible reading plans and resources available. But the point is, it's just never been easier. There literally is no excuse for why you wouldn't get in the Word of God and why you wouldn't study it every day. And I want to encourage you as you think about this new year, you think about having a vision for your life, you think about knowing and doing what the Word of God says, there is no other practice, no other commitment, no other habit that you can develop that will bless and benefit you like a commitment to study the Word of God every day. And I want to challenge you to make that a part of your life. You may think, well, it's January 5th. I missed the boat on that. No, you haven't. It's not too hard. You could catch up this afternoon in no time. If you're going to read a chronological plan, uh, which, which are the types of plan, there are two basic types, canonical plans and chronological plans. Chronological plans just start in Genesis and go to the end of the Bible, right? You start in Genesis, read till you get to Revelation. Canonical plans typically order the books in the, in the, the timeline in which they might have been written. And so often canonical plans might start with Genesis 1 and get up to about Genesis 11 and then jump to the book of Job and then come back to Genesis 12 and a plan like that. And regardless of where you are, if you haven't started yet, you could sit down this afternoon and in less than an hour this afternoon, you could get caught up. Less than an hour to get on track to read through the word of God in the year 2020, to read through it in its entirety. And I promise you, nothing will bless you and benefit your life like a commitment to study and know the word of God and then to do what it says, a challenge that, that I want to issue to you. That we would make 2020 the year where we commit to know and do God's word in our lives. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response. And in our time of response today, really, there's two types of response that I want to call us to. The first one is this, is that in order to, in order to really understand how God is directing us and how God is leading us, in order to really respond in obedience to his word, we've got to know him by faith. We've got to have a personal relationship with him, that we have surrendered our lives to him. Maybe today... God is speaking to you, and he's, you, you feel like an inner, an inner voice speaking to you, or something inside of you is drawing you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who's saying to you, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. That in order for you to understand God's vision for your life, you've first got to establish a relationship with him by faith. And if that's you today, I pray that during our time of response and our invitation today, that you would come forward and you would respond to the Lord by surrendering your life to him. Our staff will be here at the front. We would love to pray with you a prayer of faith that you would confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You would trust your life to him, surrender your life to him, and that you would walk by faith so that you might know and do what his word says. And for many of us who have already taken that step of faith, really the second response that we're calling you to today is that, that you would know God's vision, that you would understand his vision for your life by studying his word, by listening to his uh, 
prophetic word, as it were, the, the, the word of God, and by doing what it says, that you would make it your priority in the new year to know and do what the word of God says. And if God's speaking that to you today, I wanna encourage you that you would respond to that as well. You can come and maybe you wanna use this altar as a place of commitment where you just kneel before the Lord here at the altar and say, Lord, I commit to know and do your word, to know what it says and to live in obedience to that. Maybe you wanna come forward and let our staff pray for you, pray over you and encourage you as you take that bold step of obedience. Whatever way God might be directing you, and I would challenge you that you would respond in obedience to him this morning. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. After I pray, our, our musicians are going to come up and we're going to sing a song, what we call it a song of invitation. We're inviting you to respond today as God is giving us a vision for our lives, as he's leading us and directing us that we would respond in obedience to him. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we pray that your word would lead us forward in life, that you would that you would give us that clear vision for how we are to respond to you, that how we are to walk in obedience to you. Lord, help us to see it as we study your word and help us to live in obedience to that. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know you by faith, they've never trusted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would lead them today to surrender their life to you. And Lord, for those of us who perhaps today would be bold enough to confess and to admit before you that, that our lives have been untethered unrestrained because we haven't been following that vision that you have for us, Lord, that we would today bring our lives under the obedience of your word and your direction, that we would follow your word. We would have that vision that we might not, we, we might not live in a way that is, that is wild, but rather a, a way that is, that is anchored to your word of truth. So lead us, Lord. Speak to our hearts and even now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak that word of reproach that would lead us to repentance, that we might have a right relationship restored as we trust in you. 